0: Motherhood has been used to oppress and exploit women for centuries, but it doesn't have to be this way. And as mothers, we're ready for a revolution. Welcome to Rebel Mothers, the podcast that challenges the patriarchal institution of motherhood and instead reclaims mothering as an act of liberation. It's time to openly discuss how motherhood has been used to uphold systems of patriarchy, racism, and capitalism so that we can develop strategies for dismantling these institutions. We love our kids, but being a mother in a world that does not support us is disheartening and exhausting. Mothers know how important their work is, and it's time the rest of society sees the enormous potential mothering has for creating transformative social justice. I'm your host, Susie Fishleader, and together we'll embrace the revolutionary power of mothering to create a more equitable and inclusive future for ourselves and our children. So, in today's episode, we're going to talk about the language of motherhood. Because how we talk about motherhood shapes our society's expectations around what it means to be a mother, and especially what it means to be a good mother. The stories and words we use can either empower mothers or limit them, they can influence social policies and support systems positively or negatively, and they can really impact the overall well being of mothers, children, and communities. Talking about mothers and motherhood is complicated and nuanced because, let's face it, there is a lot of cultural weight on the word mother, and motherhood itself touches on issues of gender, race, class, location, ability, and more. I have to be honest, I often struggle to find the right words when I'm talking about motherhood. You know, I try to be extra conscious that I'm not using terms or language that is overgeneralizing, exclusionary, or, you know, reinforces gender or racial stereotypes about mothering. And I'm also keenly aware that for women who love mothering and who find purpose and affirmation in their role as mother, decades of feminist critiques of motherhood really alienated these women from the feminist movement. So when I talk about the act of mothering as an empowering opportunity for liberation, I do so, you know, to validate and uplift mothers and give them the respect and power they deserve after centuries of systematic misogyny. But I also have to be careful of going too far So they're not romanticizing mothering or, you know, drawing on sexist stereotypes about the woman's role within the home and the cult of domesticity. So I want to talk about how awesome and life-changing the process of birth and breastfeeding can be, right? But I also don't want to make exclusionary or biologically essentialist claims. I want to elevate mothering at the same time that I also want to encourage fathers to take on a more active role in childcare. And I want to use inclusive language so everyone who is birthing and or raising children feel seen and i even want to restructure society as a whole so that childcare is a communal activity not limited to the nuclear family so yeah it's hard to clearly articulate the nuances of all of that when i talk about mothers because there's not one single definition of what it means to mother a child and you know there's not unanimously shared values among all mothers but anyone who works with mothers or studies or writes about motherhood or gender, or participates in public policy that affects families, needs to have a clear understanding of the language surrounding motherhood, because having a shared vocabulary means we're all on the same page about what we're actually trying to say, and it allows us to distinguish between different mothering experiences, clarifies that there is not one universal experience of motherhood. So let's start by doing a deep dive on the word mother. Mother is a fun one because it's both a noun and a verb. You can be a mother and you can mother a child. So let's address the noun first. Who is a mother? Well, I consider a mother to be anyone who takes on the work of nurturing, loving, and raising a child and who identifies with the word mother regardless of their gender or biological relationship to the child. Mothers are created through pregnancy, childbirth, adoption, stepmothering, surrogacy, and loss. Let's take a look at some of the common cultural expectations around the word mother. What do we think being a mother means? Well I asked ChatGPT GPT to give me a list of 10 attributes that all mothers share. Since ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence program, right, it's trained to pull from billions of points of data across the internet, and that includes books, articles, website, social media, I thought this was helpful to see some of the common perceptions that we have about mothers. So this is what I got back. These are the 10 common attributes that mothers share according to AI, and I'll post these in the show notes so you can read them. Okay, ready? Unconditional love, nurturing, protective, selflessness, patience, empathy, supportive, teaching and guiding, multitasking, and adaptability. So then out of curiosity, I asked ChatGPT to give me a similar list for fathers. Here's what I got. Love and affection, provider, protector, role model, supportive, playful, discipline, mentorship, problem solver, time and presence. Now ChatGPT did point out that both fathers and mothers are diverse in their parenting approaches and the attributes they exhibit can vary widely from one individual to another. It also clarified, quote, parenting roles and responsibilities are increasingly shared between parents, and the specific attributes each parent brings to the family dynamic can be unique and complementary, which I appreciated. So again, this is not like a formal study. You know, ChatGPT is really, it's an incredibly well-run predictive text model, which means it's not producing original thought, it's not giving you specific results, it's just trained to predict the next word in a given sequence, and so it's not all-encompassing but I thought it was a nice starting point to see what we as a society collectively think about mothers. So what do we think? Well, we expect mothers to be nurturing, empathetic, patient teachers, you know, adaptable and good at multitasking. Well, we expect fathers to be mentors, protectors, playful and responsible for discipline and problem solving. Because when we're talking about mothers and fathers, we are attaching certain gender stereotypes to these roles. We expect mothers to be nurturing empathetic, patient teachers, adaptable and good at multitasking, because that's what we expect of women. Now interestingly, when I asked ChatGPT to give me a list of attributes shared by all women, here's what I got: quote: "It's important to recognize that there are no attributes that all women share, as women, like any other group of individuals, are incredibly diverse and unique." Attempting to generalize or stereotype all women based on common attributes would not be accurate or fair, end quote. Because we recognize that not all women are the same, right? Not all women are nurturing or empathetic or patient. But we also know that women have been socialized to behave that way. And so by extension, we expect these mothers to accept the same qualities. Now, there are obviously many other people who take on the work of nurturing and raising children who do not consider themselves mothers. These can include biological parents who don't identify with the word mother, Uh, you know, adoptive or stepmothers who question whether they count as a, you know, quote unquote, real mother. And of course it can include fathers, people like grandparents, aunties, family, friends. These are all people who are raising and loving children but don't take the word mother. And so this is where I wanna look at the word mothering because I think as a verb, it'll come in handy. It's easier to understand mothering as an inclusive term that anyone can engage in. And it helps expand the concept of caregiving beyond even the biological parents. We understand what mothering a child means. And it's interesting to note that mothering a child means something very different from fathering a child. So there are associations that we carry with both words. So let's look at mothering and I wanna compare it to the word motherhood. So mothering, mothering is a verb. It is a daily action that encompasses all the emotional labor bedtime stories care love feeding and comforting that comes with raising a child mothering can be an incredibly profound and empowering experience and anyone who participates in raising children can tap into this experience now sarah reddick who was a feminist philosopher who wrote about mothering argued that mothering is a conscious activity that calls for choices daily decisions and a continuing alert reflectiveness And she really advanced a view of mothering as active, ethical, and engaged with the world. So when I think about all of my favorite parts about being a mom, it falls under mothering. I love watching my kids play and hearing them laugh. I love cuddling them during family movies. I love teaching them how to be good humans and sharing my values with them. These are some of the actions of mothering. And I don't want to be naive and unrealistic here. Okay, right? There are plenty of terrible parts of mothering that are you know, hard and unpleasant. Like, mothering toddlers can be maddening. <laughs> I mean, I remember having those ridiculous arguments with whichever kid was, you know, about three years old that what was in the red cup is the exact same as what's in the blue cup. Oh, you know, getting triggered by my children bickering and fighting with each other is a part of mothering. Um, watching in total exasperation as a child is like flopping and moaning on the floor because they don't want to do two math problems for homework. This is all part of mothering. So it's not all roses and sunshine. But even the hard parts do feel meaningful and purposeful to me when I'm you know able to take a step away from them because I know they are helping me to be a better version of myself, like to be more patient or be better at letting shit go. But I can also see how my actions are shaped helping to shape my children. So that's the part of mothering that I love. But the action of mothering is different from the institution of motherhood, and this is an important distinction. So when you think of the other parts about being a mom that I dislike, like, for example, my guilt and shame when I feel like I'm not living up to some impossible ideal of what it means to be a good mom, right? Um, The endless repetitive tasks of laundry and dishes and housework that end up my primarily my responsibility because I'm the parent who stays home. Also the tasks of scheduling doctor's appointments, making sure they have the right clothes for picture day. All these the unpaid labor that falls primarily on the mother. Even, you know, that feeling that I've like sacrificed my career, my body, my relationships, my priorities and dreams, maybe even my mental health ever since I became a mother. These all fall under the institution of motherhood you can think of motherhood as different from mothering because while mothering is the action of nurturing and raising a child motherhood is all these cultural norms the rules and the expectations that shape my experience as a mother motherhood is an institution mothering is an act of empowerment now this is not like an original thought here Adrienne Rich first clarified the distinction between the experience of mothering and the institution of motherhood back in the 1970s with her book Of Woman Born. Dr. Andrea O'Reilly further expanded on this idea when she explained that the term motherhood refers to the patriarchal institution of motherhood, which is male-defined and controlled and deeply oppressive to women, whereas the word mothering refers to women's experiences of mothering, is female-defined and centered and potentially empowering to women. That's from the book, Matricentric Feminism, which is a fantastic book. And listen, there's a lot of gender binaries in these descriptions that I don't want to get hung up on because we know that much of what it means to be a woman is socially constructed. And it's the same thing with motherhood. You know, claims about like what makes a real man or a real woman, they're basically these rules that we perform gender in these socially defined ways. And what makes a real woman, right, a quote unquote real woman, Is intended to keep us in line with these gender binaries and normative ideals so similarly what makes a mother a real mom or a good mom has similar rules about femininity and it's also often racialized and classed yeah so the institution of motherhood is a socially constructed system it is a human built system that generates this devaluation of caring for children It creates the endless tasks of mothering in isolation. Uh, It forms the impossible standards of what it means to be a good mother, and it ensures the incompatibility between waged work and unpaid mother work, all of which leaves mothers exhausted, overwhelmed, and feeling like they just can't win. So why is it critical that we separate these two words, that we separate the experience of mothering within the institution of motherhood? Because it gives us clearer language to use about our experiences. It's important to understand that they're separate because it allows us to enjoy the experience of mothering, but also see the structure of motherhood as oppressive. It's a yes and situation. We can love our kids and we can love mothering even while we feel resentful and frustrated about motherhood. So with an understanding of this distinction, we can also start to see how many of the social systems that shape modern motherhood are well beyond the control of individual mothers, right? This can be very validating to women when they realize, hey, this thing I'm struggling with isn't my fault. It is because of patriarchy. It is because of capitalism, right? They can point to these stories and systems around us and see where these structural inequalities are making their experience harder. Patricia Hill Collins named gender, race, and class as interlocking structures that affect motherhood. These could otherwise be named as the systems of patriarchy, whiteness, and capitalism, which have enormous effects on the everyday experiences of all mothers and families. So let's take a look at some specific examples of how these unjust social orders affect a mother's experience. let will start with patriarchy. Patriarchy is a social system that privileges and prioritizes the lives and experiences of men, over the lives and experiences of some women and children. The institution of motherhood under patriarchy impacts the mother's daily experiences of mothering because it creates a standard of motherhood that benefits men over women. Andrea O'Reilly has termed this effect patriarchal motherhood, and she explains how patriarchal motherhood is kind of informed and maintained by some ideological assumptions that cause mothering to be oppressive to women. For example, In patriarchal motherhood is it is assumed that mothering takes place only in the private home, that all women want to be mothers, that all mothers are completely satisfied and fulfilled in motherhood, that mothers are naturally better at caregiving than fathers, and that mothering must be done 24-7. These impossible ideals create an institution of motherhood that make individual mothers feel as if they're always failing in some way. We also see this when we see the results of some of those polls and studies out there that show how much of the essential and also unpaid and invisible labor it takes to run a household with children is done by women because that benefits and prioritizes the lives of men over the lives of women and children, right? This all They all kind of serve to uphold each other. Let's take a look at whiteness. Now, whiteness is the system that white people... Their customs, you know, their culture, beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups are compared. Understanding whiteness means understanding the history of racism and white supremacy in the United States, which is that ideology that white people should maintain domination. So just like patriarchy is embedded in all of our systems and institutions, whiteness means that racism is embedded in the laws and regulations of our society and organizations. And it manifests as discrimination in areas like criminal justice, employment, housing, health care, education, um, political representation. So the institution of motherhood under whiteness creates a system that benefits white mothers while neglecting or failing mothers of color. Right, we see this in the legacy of slavery, resulting in generations of black mothers facing higher rates of maternal mortality lower rates of breastfeeding, higher rates of working outside the home when compared to white women and white mothers. So additionally, racism and its effects have proven to lead to chronic stress for children, which affects their school performance and reduces opportunities throughout their life. Whiteness also contributes to an ideology of perfectionism, which affects all mothers by demanding that we show only the flawless versions of ourselves so that the parts that don't conform to the dominant culture's norms are kept hidden. Okay, and finally, let's take a look at capitalism. Capitalism is a system based on private ownership of the means of production and the accumulation of surplus value. The market economy of capitalism means that the production of goods and services is based on supply and demand in the general market rather than through like a central planning system. But the impact of capitalism has infiltrated far beyond the economy and now it affects our daily lives. So the ideology of capitalism, especially when combined with the ideologies of patriarchy and whiteness, creates many conscious and unconscious beliefs that directly affect mothers. The patriarchal belief that the mother should provide all the care work for children manifests under capitalism as a lack of social support systems in the U.S., like the lack of paid maternity leave or affordable child care. Because of the gender wage gap, many new mothers are faced with the difficult choice to leave their career because it doesn't pay enough to cover the cost of childcare, or stay in a job when they would rather be caring for children because they have to earn a living. This is often made worse for mothers of color who face an even wider wage gap and higher rates of single motherhood without a partner to share financial responsibility. Additionally, under capitalism, there is very little value or even acknowledgement of that emotional labor or mental labor that I mentioned before, right? Those invisible, non-tangible tasks that are involved in running a household and are performed more often by the mother than the father. So what do all these systems have in common? They're all orders of domination that create unjust hierarchies of privilege. Patriarchy privileges and prioritizes men and their experiences over women and children. Whiteness privileges lighter skin over darker skin. Capitalism privileges wealth and profit over care and people. So we, when we exist in the social order that creates a hierarchy of domination, individual mothers are caught in the system where those on top control those below them. And they may themselves unwittingly be maintaining the systems in their own homes and families. So, when I'm talking about a motherhood revolution, this is what I'm talking about. We can begin to dismantle these systems of patriarchy, whiteness, and capitalism by modeling a partnership family system at home. You know, we can look at our mothers, can look at their family, their household, and ask themselves, are we replicating a micro system of oppression that creates this hierarchy of domination in our own home? Or is our family creating a culture of partnership that can be expanded to the community beyond? So to revolutionize the institution of motherhood, we must become revolutionary mothers who co-create with our families a partnership family model. Now I'm going to do a future episode talking about this idea of dominator and partnership family models, which comes from the work of Rhianne Eisler and the Center for Partnership Systems. But since this is an episode that talks you know just give some basic definitions so we're all on the same page just to understand this is a quote from the center for partnership systems website quote a dominator family is an authoritarian structure of ranking and hierarchies of domination in family economics and society so children grow up in authoritarian punitive male-dominated families where they observe and experience inequity as the norm A partnership family models a democratic structure and hierarchies of actualization that empower rather than disempower. Caring is economically valued. Egalitarian and equitable adult relations are the norm. Parenting is not authoritarian, but authoritative and nonviolent. I will link that in the show notes. And like I said, we'll talk about this model and how we actively engage in creating a partnership family model because I truly believe It has revolutionary potential for not only our own individual experience as mothers but the potential for our individual families to grow and to be nourished and then even into the community beyond so to wrap this up the language of motherhood is complex and multifaceted and it carries with it social expectations gender stereotypes and cultural norms that shape the experience of those who take on the role of mothering so we've explored the distinction between mothering as an active and empowering act of nurturing and raising children, and motherhood as the socially constructed institution that is heavy with oppressive expectations and standards. By recognizing this division, we gain clarity in discussing our experiences as mothers and allows us to both embrace the joys of mothering and critique the structures of motherhood. It's crucial to understand that the challenges and inequalities faced by mothers are not individual burdens, but they are deeply embedded in broader systems that govern our society. Once we have this shared vocabulary and a more nuanced understanding of motherhood, we can work towards dismantling these oppressive structures and create a more equitable and supportive world. Stay tuned for more empowering stories and insightful discussions in future episodes of Rebel Mothers. Remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast to spread the message far and wide. Learn more at suzyfishleader.com. And thank you for being part of the motherhood revolution.